Welcome back to Four of a Pine Podcast. This podcast is for all those out there just like us trying to figure out what's next in their careers. So join us and exciting guests as we discuss navigating our jobs, entrepreneurship, and all the ups and downs along the way. Hi, everyone. This is Grace, and I'm joined today by one of my co-hosts, Kelsey. Hi, everyone. And my dear friend, Cassie Shovak, the founder and CEO of Cassie Saba Jewelry, or CSJ for short. Cassie, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me, ladies. So Cassie is recognized in the jewelry industry as a talented designer and a skilled craftsperson. Her work has been featured in over 80 magazines, such as Elle magazine, as well as in a variety of talk shows. Cassie was a semi-finalist for the Top Accessory Designer of the Year by FGI, winner of Guardian's Girls Going Places, and received the Young Entrepreneur Award from the National Foundation of International Business, having started her business at such a young age. She's also a jewelry designer for E! News, so you can spot many of her pieces on celebrities. Yeah, so no big deal. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Cassie's work is amazing. Uh, Grace actually got me one of your pieces for Christmas uh, two two years ago, I believe. But anyway, I love it. It's beautiful, and it's it's so cool the work that you're doing. Um, so maybe you can start off by telling the listeners a little bit more about your business and maybe the industry overall, because I know I'm sure a lot of people listening like jewelry, have bought jewelry, but I think there's not everyone understands the difference between the retailer and the jeweler. And maybe a wholesaler, all that. Maybe just sort of lay it out and then we can dive into to you. Absolutely. So there are two parts of my business, actually. I do costume jewelry and also fine jewelry. So I'm a wholesale jewelry designer. I have an office in the Diamond District right on 47th Street. So all of my bench jewelers actually are the ones who craft the pieces I design and there there's one guy that sets the stones there's another jeweler that polishes it and actually my master bench jewelers have worked for everybody from Graf, Cleot, Tiffany so there's a lot of jewelers on this block and then my costume jewelry would be items that are $35 fun trendy bangles and stackable rings and then you know the tassel necklaces and things like that up to $150. So really, there's two different markets and something for everybody, little gifty type pieces, and then, you know, everything from engagement rings to wedding bands to anniversary um, pieces and things like that. On the fine jewelry end, what was the most expensive piece you've made? How much was it? Was it a necklace Mm -hmm. or an engagement ring? I've actually recently done my most expensive engagement ring. It was three hundred and fifty thousand. What? Oh, <laughs> oh, oh my god. Three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Yes. Yeah, I like dollars. Say, okay. <laughs> I have to say one thing that kind of sets me apart is not only in my wholesale, but I really cater to people that have two thousand dollars to spend on an engagement ring and then my billionaire clients that can spend a hundred thousand dollars like it's nothing. So that is more expensive than our Wharton MBA. Yes, more expensive than a lot of things. Well, more power (laughs) to you, I guess. (laughs) So I got my mom this pearl necklace actually, and she really loved it. Um, Cassie, maybe let's start from the very beginning of your Mm -hmm. career, which is really early. 
You started your jewelry business at the age of twelve or thirteen. Can you tell <laughs> us how it all started? Because I mean, I I don't know what I was doing when I was twelve, but definitely not working on a business. I was definitely this weird little kid. <laughs> I got a bead kit、um, from my aunt, and I gradually like started making little pieces. And I was like, hey, I. I like this. I like putting all the colors together, and I liked making them for people. And when they would tell tell me that they got compliments on them, and oh, their friend wanted one too. It was like, oh, hey, maybe I'm good at this. <laughs> maybe I should get into like better stones, you know. And gradually started like getting people buying my pieces,、mm-hmm. and that's kind of how it started. That's so cool. I think it's yeah, it's just impressive that you you did something you love doing, and then you saw there was a market for it. I guess we would say. So, how did you know when throughout that process that started at some point as something you just enjoyed doing? Eventually, it turned into a business. But was there a particular point along the way where you you decided you knew that this was actually a business and not just something you like doing and maybe something on the side? Was there Was it you reached certain amount of sales, or you were getting certain type of feedback? I think it definitely took like a couple years to turn it into a profitable business. But I think what made that turning point for me was I started going to local stores, and this is when my pieces were better than bead kit pieces. Yeah.、Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, hey, you know, do you want to sell my pieces? This is my line. This is kind of my collections of what I'm going for. And there was some rejection, but a lot of success with that. And then I started、um, reaching out to local magazines and local newspapers, and then getting some, you know, advertisement in that and editorial features. And then I realized, okay, it's starting to get more of a little base here, and constant people buying my jewelry, and the word was spreading a little more. And So my customer base started that way. So I think that's what really took it to the next level. So maybe let's just go back to the point where you said you started knocking on people's doors、mm-hmm. and calling people and and stores. First of all, you were such a brave thirteen-year-old for <laughs> knocking on people's doors and jewelry stores to try to sell your pieces. I'm curious where you found that. Courage, right? Because again, like I don't think we can find a lot of thirteen-year-olds who would go from store to store and be like, "Hey, do you want to sell what I'm selling?" Right. Well, my mom actually she started her own business when she was nineteen, and I got a lot of that entrepreneurial, even hustler spirit from her. I'd say I always kind of had that in my blood. And I, I guess I wasn't so afraid of them saying no. I mean, that's like the worst that could happen. So, for me, it was a numbers game. For ten stores, you might get one or two that say, "Oh, sure, we'd love to carry your pieces." And then who knows where that could go from there? It's just going to get more and more. Talk about hustle. <laughs> yeah, I remember in sixth grade, I would go to the dollar store and get like power bracelets and then resell <laughs> them in the cafeteria. <laughs> <laughs> oh、I got in trouble so many times. They're like, "You can't sell stuff at the cafeteria." I'm like, "What? <laughs> How much well, were you like, selling them for?" Um, I had pretty good profit margins back then. <laughs> okay,、yeah. so clearly you had this entrepreneurial drive and spirit from <laughs> such like from really early on. You mentioned your mom, but. 
what is the biggest piece of advice you received from her or other people who inspire you and maybe mentored you along the way? Sure. I would. The first thing my mom always says is to make sure you have balance in all areas of your life, especially business, because I tend to get like really emotional with my customers because I have relationships with so mm-hmm. many of them that, oh, if they need this, it's it's such a priority. And um, I take things personal and, you know, having that balance from like personal and business to try to separate it or else it can come into every aspect of your life. You know, I try to put my phone down when it's like 10 o'clock at night um, and I'm with my husband. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, no more texting clients and things like that. So I think balance is a big deal. And then also going back to the relationships, I think that keeping people happy all the time and letting them know that it's a special experience getting pieces from me because I know what looks good. I help them almost style their, their jewelry. And, you know, they'll text me and say, I'm going to this event, like which piece do you think I should wear? And so I think that keeping the relationships is a, is a really big part of having a business. Well, you're obviously super passionate about what you do because you're still in this business that you start that you established as a teenager. Did you know back then that that is really what you wanted to do long term? Like how confident were you or did you did you think about doing something else when you were in university, for example? I always wanted to be in jewelry and I always wanted to have my own line and my own business. I think forever. Um, I have consulted for other like jewelry brands and things part time, which is fun because it didn't really take away from my business, but I was able to grow and then give them things I know too and bring something towards their company. So yeah, I kind of always knew I wanted to be in jewelry at least. I think just going back to the advice you you've received and now shared with us and all our listeners, I think the balance piece is a is a really good point and a and a tough one, especially and I can't imagine having your own company where you're trying to draw that line between personal and work, but like <laughs> there's it's it's so intertwined. The company is you, it right? Really so is. Oh. and some of us who work, you know, if we worked at a big company or whatever, it's maybe a little easier to draw the line between what's us and what's the company. But I think that balance piece is something that everyone it's applicable to everyone. So mm-hmm. it's a really good, really good piece of advice. I'm also super jealous that you found your passion and your career so early. I we talk about that a lot in terms of, all right, you have to do something you're passionate about at work. There's sort of two examples of that. And I would put you at one end of the spectrum, which is I know the industry, the work I want to do, like I want to be design jewelry and I want to do it for my customers and I want to build these relationships. And then I think on the other hand, there's other people like maybe me who, <laughs> um, who you know, just change jobs like after 10 years in a different career. And I think about types of projects rather than a specific industry or something along those lines. So it's like a little different way to think about type of work. I can tell by talking to you just like the passion you have for what you do. So it's coming through the microphone. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Okay, so let's move along in terms of um, the arch of your career here. 
And then I think you were doing this while you were in college, right? In in Arizona, Arizona State. And um, so I think we talk a lot about back to the balance question, but you were juggling a business and school at the same time. So can you talk a little bit more about how you did that and maybe some things you learned with that initial juggling act as you moved on to as you grew your business and lessons learned? Sure. I mean, unlike you guys, I wasn't really the best student. I I really like I have no passion for school. I just honestly wanted to get through it as fast as I could so that I could get the heck out and move to New York and expand my business. So for me, I didn't have a whole lot of balance. I put just more of my energy into my business and I got through school. I kind of knew what I wanted to do. So I wasn't in school really looking for that guidance. I was like, let me just get this degree and peace out, which is probably not I mean, it's probably not like what normal people would say, but I don't know. It was just like I never was good at school. I never liked it. Well, I think I I think you really obviously knew what you wanted to do already, but at the same time, you could have you could have just moved to New York, but you right. didn't. You still went to school and you you did see a value of getting through school and yeah. n- yes, maybe it wasn't at the top of your priority, mm-hmm. but you knew you wanted to do that first before making that big move. Good point, Grace. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I knew it was important. Such a thoughtful process. I mean, everyone has their their own path, right? And you probably learned a lot on the job and could take that. And also, also, I did have an apprenticeship throughout college as well with a top jewelry store in Arizona with a really, really elite clientele. And I helped design and I did sales for them too. So I was doing that and expanding my business and school. So it was a lot of craziness. Well, somehow you made it work, right? With all this craziness that you just said, you've built this solid base of clientele locally in Arizona, and you were very successful in that market. Now, fast forward a few years, you decided to move to New York, one of the fashion capitals of the world, and is known for its infamous diamond district that you referred to earlier. Can you walk us through your thought process? You touched on that a little bit already, but just that thought process when you made that decision. Once I graduated, I waited a couple months, and then all of a sudden, one day, I was like, I need to just do the move because if I don't do it, I'm going to regret it. And I told myself, I'm going to give myself a year and then reevaluate. And of course your first year is always the hardest, but I posted on Facebook and said, I'm planning to move to, to New York city in a couple of weeks. Is there, you know, does anybody know of apartments or anything like that? And I also reached out to some people I knew that lived here or other people in the industry through LinkedIn. And we, did coffees and lunch, you know, right when I first moved and got kind of like acclimated a little bit as much as you could. And then I just, I just came over here, um, knowing that it was going to be hard and lots of ups and downs, but that I really needed to be here, not just to build another client base, but my biggest thing actually for moving here was getting to know the factories and the vendors I work with better Mm -hmm. 
there's a big Vegas trade show for jewelry and lots of these vendors come from New York, India, Hong Kong, everything. I've met them in the previous years going to the shows, but lots of them that I worked with were in New York. And let's go here, build a relationship over a few years, work on projects together. And I have those relationships now that I could move anywhere and we could still be so close. Mm-hmm. And that was the biggest thing for me is is really establishing that. And you felt like you wouldn't have been able to do that if you had stayed in Arizona. Oh, absolutely not. Like you have to be here to make those connections mm-hmm. and for them to to get to know you forever. I mean, we have that trust now. We're we're close friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, my the guy I get my sapphires, rubies, tanzanites from is the biggest tanzanite dealer in the world. But I can't establish that relationship with him out of state. Right. right. So all of those relationships really grew. And the same with my bench jewelers. Like I'm hands-on with every project. And that's just something that happens in the diamond district. Right. Can you talk a little bit more? You mentioned it. I think especially with your bench jewelers at the end, just how you think about the team that you work with and how you built out that team and what you looked for. And it sounded like when you were describing it earlier, you have a lot of people on your team have very specific expertise. So if someone is cutting or polishing and those are maybe two different tasks, how do you think about building that team and then managing process supply chain if you have dive into yeah, that? Absolutely. It's really finding the best guys to do the best jobs. And also my husband is in the jewelry industry. So we met uh, four years ago or so, but it was funny because I had introduced him to one of my friends that is a diamond dealer, but he didn't know. And then he introduced me to, Hey, if you ever want to make a dog tag, I mean, this guy makes the best dog tags. And then you just get to know, I I think it takes a couple years, Kelsey, actually Mm -hmm. to find the best guys for the best things. If I'm working on like a very specific micro pave ring, I give it to Vahan. You know, he is the best in the business for that. And this guy is the best for the skillful type projects. Or this guy is the one that does the CAD, which is the computer art design. It really, it takes networking. Um, it takes build really building your network in the industry mm-hmm. and And asking other people, you know, who do you use for this? And just putting yourself out there, really, and interviewing different guys for different things and looking at what they've done in the past. I mean, that is is your forte. I feel like networking, you'll Mm -hmm. see Cassie basically everywhere. And funny story, actually, (laughs) that's how we met. Yes, I was wondering if that was going to come up. Yeah, how did you meet? We bought the (laughs) $350,000. Yeah, no. We met at this random networking event, actually at Fogo de Chao. And you had your card on green the whole time. It was so random. We had, we, I was talking to this guy, Russell, and then I had moved We along. should send this episode to Russell. We should so send this episode to Russell. And then he ended up talking to Grace, who had just moved here from Canada. And he goes and finds me. He's like, hey, Cassie, I think you'd like this girl. I think you guys would be really good friends. And I was like, okay, Russell, that we just met. Like, glad you know us so well. And I actually thought that he knew Cassie mm-hmm. for, you know, several years um, until Cassie and I became friends and found out that she met him that nice. night. Nice. 
And might we add, we also met a really good friend of ours, Tio, that night. Yeah, Tio. Anyway. You just never know. The power of networking. Exactly. Absolutely. And another thing on that networking note is I always make sure I have a piece of my jewelry on because that's I'm my biggest advertisement. I met one of my best clients in the bathroom of a restaurant. I had on this big pearl cross and I was leaving and she was like, oh my gosh, where'd you get that necklace? And we just started talking. And so I think networking and building relationships is like the most important part of any business. You have all these partnerships. Maybe they're not as form like formalized as like, you know, you're doing like some corporate M&A or development, but you have you have a partnership with every player in this industry and that's your pipeline for any particular project. So it's a lot of trust in this industry. It's all based on trust. So one other question for you in terms of the industry itself, how do you think about trends in the industry or I don't know, things that come up that you think might impact your business? You're in a a trade, a craft that's so hands-on How do you think about what might be coming next for you? Totally. I think that it's really, really important to keep up with the trends and still keep true to what you do. But I am always up for listening to what my clients want to do or working on custom projects or they'll send me a photo of something. Can you do this? So I think it's really important to stay on top of um, what's new. And it's crazy because lots of things that were big in the 70s or 80s are coming back now or you'll see things that they say are trendy and it's like no it's just redone with a twist so it's kind of fun I I like switching it up you can get that trend feedback directly from your customers because you have the ability to customize absolutely and we see things I think in New York a lot faster than maybe other states And, and, you know, in some aspects or like I travel a lot and I'll see things like, oh, that'd be cool to do. You know, if you go to Italy or Spain and you see all this really unique design to kind of bring it back with a little bit. of They give you some inspiration. Definitely. So you obviously moved to New York, you said, because you wanted to establish these relationships. But at the same time, there's clearly a huge market here too, right? So that presents opportunity, um, except there's also a lot more competition here compared to Arizona, or I mean, I'm assuming, I'm making that assumption. But how hard was it to reestablish yourself and build your client base here? So you you spoke about building your relationships with, you know, in partnerships with basically your supply chain, but how about your client base? How was that? How did you do that? And can you share some of the tactics you used? I mean, how did you land that contract to be a jewelry designer for Enus, for instance? And, you know, when there's like hundreds of jewelry companies and designers here in New York? Well, I think a big part of it is networking yourself, always wearing a piece of your jewelry. And there's a lot of jewelry designers out there, right? But I think they need to fall in love with you and not just your jewelry. And it's all about the relationships you build too. So about E! News, that was a friend of a friend that kind of got me hooked up with that and thought I would be great. And there was a lot of other designers in line for it, but they really just liked how easy I was to work with and how I kind of knew 
also from like a styling standpoint, they would text me pictures of the outfits throughout the week and like, hey, can you just match these instead of us trying to go through your website and your lookbooks? It was almost like I had an eye for that too. Mm-hmm. And I think they appreciated that. And it's it's just really all about continuing to build those relationships. Mm-hmm. And a lot of part of the jewelry business is referrals. So I try to make sure all my clients are super happy and I I have a lot of referral business. Okay. So you started with like one or two or three people and then they would refer you to people. And that's basically how you grew your client base. Absolutely. Absolutely. And a lot of my clients wear my pieces all the time too. Right. And so then they're constantly. I mean, if it costs like $300,000, they better be wearing it all the time. You know, regular, regular pieces, you know, and then. I have such supportive clients that they'll even have cards of mine in their wallet. Oh, that's you awesome. Follow her on Instagram or reach out to her. She's awesome. She's easy to work with. And that, that helps a lot too, that they're so supportive. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us, are there any, I know I think you had some famous people wearing your jewelry. Can you tell us who? <laughs> <laughs> Right. I mean, I've designed pieces in the past for Beyonce, Jennifer Lawrence, Melissa McCarthy. Um, There's a lot I don't always like talk about, but, you know, they're just like any other clients. And I get excited to work with them just as much as recently I did an engagement ring for a guy I was in first grade with. Oh, yeah. And that's really special, too. Too. So Beyonce. Clubs are cool, but they're people too so yeah so you and your husband hey joe if you're listening um (laughs) recently started a youtube channel called the jewelry couple um can you talk a little bit about that and how it fits with the overall branding for cassie saba jewelry sure so my husband is also in the jewelry industry and we get asked like the same questions all the time on a daily basis, right? And we're like, there's got to be a fun way that we can educate people, especially millennials that are all into computers. How can we get this info to them in an informative way? They can communicate with us. So we started this YouTube channel where we talk about everything from the four C's to you know, buying a diamond online. Wait, so, sorry. What are the four C's? <laughs> Caraway, clarity, cut, and color. So four things that like establish the price and okay. all this of a diamond. Okay. So um, with that being said, there's also something that has come into our industry a few years ago, and that's people buying diamonds online and all their conceptions of it and what is really the truth. And we really give the insights on that. Hey, it's not really all that you think just reading up on something, you Mm -hmm. know, diamonds are not apples to apples. It's not just what the paper says. And we kind of go through different topics. Like right now we have eight videos up and we're just going to continue to do more. And if people reach out to us and say, Hey, do one on this we're open to that. So, so if you want to learn more about the four C's, yes. Grace, when you buy me a diamond, um, you'll learn all about it. <laughs> Definitely, I'll make sure. <laughs> Cassie, congrats on your success so far. Obviously, New York. I mean, New York is a tough market, but you've 
built your business literally from the ground up. Um, you've made connections, established an amazing client base, and you have beautiful jewelry. Now that you've established your client base, now we talked a little bit about like how you might think about the future. You've started this YouTube channel. Is there anything else um, that you see in the future for your company? Is there something coming next that we can get excited about? There's always fun collections coming, Kelsey. (laughs) But really, um, where I want to focus on my business is doing more trunk shows nationwide. Actually, the possibility of even getting some sales reps at this point for different states where I'm not heavily in. I feel like I'm able to go back to Arizona, California, New York all the time. But there's a lot of states I haven't hit and I would love to get some exposure out there. So really just continuing building my clientele is where I see it going. Awesome. Awesome. Well, before we let you go, Cassie, if you were to give advice for other entrepreneurs out there who are looking to take their businesses to the next level and to get into the New York market, what would that advice be? I would honestly say be prepared for a lot of really highs in New York. You know, some of the people you'll meet along the way and the connections and the clients and then get ready for some hard no's. But with that rejection, you might get 10 yeses. So really just be confident and stay positive and look at the long run and and do what you love and what makes you happy. That's awesome advice. All right. Well, that's a good point for us to close on. So Cassie, thank you so much for joining us. I learned a ton today and hopefully our listeners did too. Uh, Can you just share with our listeners quickly how they can connect with you and your company website and maybe your YouTube channel? Yes. So our YouTube channel is The Jewelry Couple and my website is CassieSabaJewelry.com and I'm on Instagram as well. So if you all would like to check out Cassie's jewelry, we will include the website in the episode notes so that you can connect directly to her. And if you have any questions or comments or just want to say hi, send us an email at fourofakindpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram at fourofakindpodcast for the latest updates. And finally, don't forget to hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. And we look forward to talking to you soon. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again to our guest, Cassie Shovak, to my co-host, Kelsey, and all of you for tuning in. Happy Friday, everyone. Bye. Bye.